Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, August the 17th in 2022 on When I Rise. Today we continue year C, proper week 16, which is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Wednesday of the week, we like to try to pick up one of the extra passages that float around in this week in the revised comma lectionary and this week in the church's calendar year. And so today I want to go to place that we've been to before, maybe not these exact verses, but definitely this chapter, Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to read verses 9b, so like the second half of that verse, to verse 14. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9b to verse 14. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in the triumph of the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God for us. One of the things that the nature of our faith will do is help to root us into two different arenas. And why this is important is because uh, some assumption of religion is that we tend to go one or the other. So here are the two arenas, and here's why it's sometimes to go to one or the other. So the two arenas are the arena of the personal private life, that's arena one, and arena arena two is the arena of the social life, or what uh, John Wesley called social holiness, right? And so religion seems to go one direction or the other, right? So religion is obsessed with developing the inner life, uh, helping us to get rid of inner attachments that we have, unhealthy attachments towards things, right? Developing a pause or a meditation practice or a prayer life, uh, a personal private salvation, over and against anything that I do in public, right? So that's temptation number one. Temptation number two is to think, man, we got to go out and change the world. Like this world is a mess and we got to put like all of our social organizing together, pour social funds and uh, social services, a safety net, and then it'll fix the world's problems. People will be more benevolent and kind and considerate and empathetic and so on and so forth. So what we find is that when projects are only done in one and not the other, it seems to unravel, right? Like we have people who are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. 
And then we have like people who, you know, work so hard to create these social safety nets that just get abused by people who haven't had the interior transformation in their life. And so what's important is for us to reckon with both of them. And that seems to be the topic of, uh, of Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is talking about fasting, right? And so when I think a lot, a lot of times, I don't know what you think of when I think of, I think of the, the private side of faith being something that fasting is all about, right? And not uh, disfiguring our face, as Jesus says, when we go about fasting, but fasting in secret so that our Heavenly Father will reward us in secret, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, right? So we think of something like super private and a super individual thing of refraining f- from food for myself in order for me to develop my own sort of spiritual spidey senses or something like that, right? Well, Isaiah 58 says that what's wrong in Israel is that they do this fasting practice, right? Either personally, corporately, but then on that same day of fasting, they like exploit workers. Uh, they withhold wages. They fight each other in the wi- in streets with wicked fists, as uh, Isaiah 58 says, right? And so the second part, which we read today, it starts off, this idea of if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday, right? And so there's a sense of a true fasting. Uh, as the chapter says earlier, if you want to be heard from on high, you've actually got to work on the social things. But the social things are done with those altruistic motives that we long for when we do the private thing. And so what the Christian faith does is that it helps us to bring these two arenas together to the sacred life. Keeping in mind the great commandment from Jesus, where Jesus says to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That seems like arena number one, right? But then Jesus says the second commandment is like it honor and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? And some people start to say, well, like first is primary and second is secondary. But I I think the way it's been explained to me, maybe I swiped it from one of those spiritual formation gurus, is that it's not like first place, second place, but firstborn, secondborn. And uh, I've got two kids. Uh, If you have more than one kid out there, you know that you can't put one in front of the other. Now, people crack jokes and they say, well, I prefer this child over this child because of their behavior but let's be honest when it came down to it like we would extend ourselves sacrifice ourselves equally probably for both of our kids because they're both important so firstborn secondborn and so that's what jesus is saying that the heart of the christian life the crux of the christian life is to have love abound for god and to have love abound for neighbor and if we facet that idea of neighbor and some other teachings of Jesus, which is, it's not just who happens to be my neighbor, but who is the person that I'm neighboring? Who am I actively seeking, showing hospitality? Uh, I love that. There's a title of a great book out there called like the gospel comes with a house key. Like be ready to make room for other people in your life. If you claim to have this confession and this uh, announcement that you love God, now your room, now you're like your guest room is going to be full of people because your heart's going to also pour out to other people. And so this is just a reminder, this is not just a one-off thing that Jesus says, but this is something from Genesis all the way to the maps. God is obsessed with his image-bearing creatures like you and me, extending ourselves in two directions, towards God and towards others. We cannot say that we're excelling in our relationship with God if we are not also loving our brothers and sisters. 
And the best way to love our brothers and sisters is to learn how to love God and to love like God. And that happens in communion with him. This is something that John picks up in 1 John. He says, you can't say you love God and hate your brothers and sisters. These things are always tethered together. Leave it up to evangelicalism, pietism to separate these things. What I love is that in recent years in the church work is that we see this joining together. Like there is this obsession. There is this high standard now. Someone cannot say that they love God and harbor racism or harbor some sort of bitterness and unforgiveness towards people. Like it gets in the way. And it gets in the way because it's even at the heart of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, which is that uh, we would love that we would love others, that if God, if we're seeking God's forgiveness, as we forgive others, um, and uh, we have the sense that we have this obligation, a holy obligation, to be in connection with others and to be connected with God, and somehow our connection with God nourishes our connection with others. And so, a lot of things to dig in here, but maybe you and I can just look at like our recent history. Where have we been excelling? In Arena One, that private life with God. Are we trying to be in Excel in Arena 2, that social holiness with others? And so if one is languishing today, because it might be, it may not be, but if it's a languishing today, we ask for God's help that both arenas of our love and of our duty and of our commitment and presence would be nourished by the gospel of Christ so that God would be honored with all of our lives. So with that in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that as you draw us into your family, you give us these great and precious promises that through them, your word says that we can participate in the divine nature. We thank you that that divine nature is in a mystery, a love that abounds to you as our God and a love that abounds to neighbor as it abounds to ourselves. God, we thank you for these commitments. We think that this reorders our life. It reorders how we spend our time and our resources. It causes us to leave our homes and look to the right and to the left to see who our neighbor is. It's, it's, it, it convinces us to tune into the world news and to consider what it's like for our brothers and sisters in Christ thousands of miles away from one another. It convinces us that uh, when we look at uh, things in business and we see that if someone's being exploited, that it needs to be challenged. It thinks, I thank you that it causes us to go to our schools. And we see someone left out, someone alone in the lunchroom, that we get a chance to sit next to them and to welcome them and to draw them from the background into the arena where we can love them and, and to see uh, the advancement of their well-being. And so, God, we thank you that being a Christian gives us so much fun stuff to do. It's the most interesting life that we can imagine. It's because you are the most interesting being who we've ever encountered. And so, God, we have one simple prayer today is that you would draw us into life in you and that it would reward reorder all of who we are and that you would give us a greater enthusiasm for the way of the kingdom than another way another path that's out there so god help us to excel in love for god help us to excel in love for neighbor and as we do so may we find it to be the very depth of the greatest experience of life itself we ask all these things in jesus name amen